G'day and welcome to Sticky Week episode number 34. In this episode, we had a really passionate conversation with Paul Elsabai, the founder of SwapPay, Australia's first platform that works with charities and recycling organisations to trade used clothes for usable credits. Paul had a lot of insights into seeing failures as assets that set you up for future success, encouraging staff to make their own decisions, and creating a win-win business model that people want to see succeed. If you're interested in building sustainable businesses and turning failures into strengths, this will be a really solid app to listen to. Welcome to Sticky Beak, Paul. Hello, Daniel. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. Joining us from not so sunny Sydney today. Yeah, not so sunny at all, mate. The mm. rain is down. Yeah, yeah, and. Cool. We're just saying that your staff have tucked you away in the back office where there's no sound today. You've got the high-vis vest in the background and everything. Boom. <laughs> anyway, man of the people, though. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Did you grow up in Sydney? Yeah, also, I'm born and bred in Sydney. Um, obviously, love the travel and whatnot, but it's always been home and I think we'll always be home. It's, yep. Yeah. Yeah. What did school look like for you, Paul? Did you enjoy school, not like school, thrive on it? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I guess I just had the, a typical school journey. Uh, you know, you make your friends, you work hard, you, you have your, your, your play bit, you, you've got your sport and whatnot. So it wasn't, I think, anything that I would consider out of the ordinary, but it was okay. It was a long time ago now. Yeah. Now making me think about it, Daniel. <laughs> What was it? Class of 95 graduated. So that's wow. a long time. Yeah, you see, boom. Like, <laughs> oh, well, it's you you got through it fast oh, before I did. So you're a little bit older than me. But yeah, I know what I know the feeling as well. Like it's, yeah. it's almost 20 years since I graduated from school. It doesn't seem like that long, but it's been a couple of decades. I'm flying. You know, I've got to pay you a compliment, Daniel. You don't look old enough to have graduated 20 years ago so <laughs> appreciate it thank you paul yeah, yeah yeah well not as much sun exposure here we can <laughs> puts the wrinkles off maybe that's it you mentioned you played a few sports and that was there anything particular that you focused on there um look it's a mixed bag for me um i did play a little bit of cricket a little bit of soccer yeah but we called it soccer growing up yeah um you know swam a bit I tried to do a bit of everything, enjoyed a bit of everything, you know, represented not to too high a level in anything, but did play rep cricket and um, and football, soccer. Yeah. That sort of stopped, I don't know, as you sort of peter out in high school or just before and focus a bit on studies and then you focus on everything else. Yeah, absolutely. What did you do after school finished? Did you go into uni or did you go into a job or what, what did that look like? Yeah, so look, for me, my school journey was interesting. In last year of school, actually from year 11, um, I started a little side business, which was just selling jeans at the markets of all things, right? And that took me through, did uni. And at the same time as being at uni, I also decided to get into retail stores of all things because it just seemed like the normal thing to do. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah, just did uni, focused on the business, and then from there just hopped through businesses, really. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. Uni for me 
it was a way to spend some time. It was nice because there was some, uh, some social aspects to it. And of course you learn a bunch. Um, but I don't think when I was at uni, I ever thought I would actually use the degree for what the degree was. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say the degree was that you were doing? So I did a, um, a mixed com, com arts and com law degree. Then I got out, did a master's in tax law with all things. Which tax is, law. Right. How does that relate to uh, How did you go staying awake in those lectures? Oh, dude, I was barely there. That was the thing. You just do enough to pass. Yeah. I was really fortunate. Um, had a lecturer in, at first year uni that sat the whole class in and said, any work you do to earn a grade above 51 is, you know, time and work wasted. And I took that to heart. <laughs> Like, I'm wow. trying to be funny. He was yeah. awesome, you know, like made sense. But it yeah. also meant I saw uni and did uni, knowing that the bulk of my time was focused on business. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's I guess that's me and that's gotcha. What would you yeah. say your first serious business was? Um, it was the the retail store, which that particular retail store um route. To like six, seven stores, and we sold out of that one. Yeah. Um, started a bunch of others. So it's always been fashion and retail focused. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. just one thing to two to four and learn along the way. Yeah, gotcha. So having businesses was a way better learning institution, I would call it. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. The the uni stuff, I mean, it has a place, but it's basically a piece of paper and you're just trying to get through it to get that piece of paper. For business, at least, I've said this a few times, but I don't want to disrespect, you know, people who are doctors and that sort of thing because obviously yeah. you need to learn a bunch of stuff. But in terms of marketing, commerce, that kind of thing, that's most of the learning comes on the job, in my opinion anyway, and yeah. it seems to be pretty common. So you... Well, there's a networking aspect to uni though, right, which I think right. is really... And I think if you embrace that side of it, you can learn lots doing that. And yep. I think it's the first time you get exposed to older people. Yep. So getting with your lecturers, your tutors and whatnot. Yeah. I think good lessons if you take it for that and you yep. don't just walk out cracking the books, but making relationships, it'll put you in good stead. I think anyway. Yeah, no, that, that's good advice. And also, I think the um, the confidence, because I know a lot of people tend to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder if they never do the higher education and whether it's worthwhile or not, just for that confidence element um, and to get that chip off the shoulder, it can be a, can be beneficial there. So you had those retail businesses um, and then you, you got to ABA labels eventually. How, how did that happen? Yeah, eventually. So... It was sort of towards the end of 2010, I think I decided to take a little bit of time off. Yeah. Um, my wife and I wanted to start a family. So we had my first daughter in 2010. Um, and then a couple of years after that, we decided to get back into the fashion trade. So we started a business and it still exists. It's called Stitch Apparel. And we focused on I guess, white label products. So what that is, we would go to the big retailers and offer to develop some ranges for them. And that was, you know, fairly successful. And that sort of paved the way for ABA. Um, so ABA started off, I think it's 2016, where we thought, Do you know what, 
we've done the white label, we've done a whole bunch of brands, which are still selling in the marketplace now for other people, but we thought let's do our own again. It had been a bunch of years. We, we did it in the early 2000s when we had the stores, we did a whole bunch of brands. Didn't think I wanted to do it again, then explored it. And it was really for me exciting because really early in the sort of 2010, 2014 period, we could, I could definitely see that online was gonna really change fashion. And I didn't want to go back to the old way of having retail stores and um, having fashion agents and doing the whole wholesale thing and agencies and whatnot. But with what we saw happening, we thought, well, now's the time that we can launch a brand, maybe see if it can become more than one and do it differently. So we embraced all, the, I guess, the new stuff happening, but also brought some of the old school mentality, you know, hard work and all the rest of it. So yeah, ABA started about five years ago with one brand. Um, it's nine now. It has the principles of Stitch Apparel. So we do everything here within the business. So we, um, we have a team of designers of fabric um, and print designers, uh, garment technicians, and we have the marketing guys, the e-com guys, we have it also. It's kind of a fashion business. It also is a tech business because there's a lot of tech behind it. But that was the journey, really. Yeah, gotcha. I'm really naive, to be honest, on the fashion industry, and I, I have no idea how business works. If it like you for how you guys operate, so what's the starting point? How do you okay? We're going to make a shirt. Let's say, how do you select? What are we going to make? What's it going to look like? What's that process look like? Yeah. Um, so that's what the design guys do. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the current business, if, if you mean from the point of view, if you want to start a brand new brand, yeah. then I think steps back first because you first, you've got to figure out what you want your brand to be. Then you've got to figure out who's going to make the product for you and whatnot. It's always good if you do have a designer or two around because I think fashion is a tough business. It's the only business I can think of where the product you're trying to sell changes day to day. Like if you're a fast food chain, you might develop a new menu item, but ultimately you're selling a Big Mac at the McDonald's. Yeah. In fashion, you're selling something new to meet a changing taste every day. And your target market moves every day because one day they might be 24 and the next day they're 25, the next day they're 40. So your brand, is it about that customer or is it about a 24 year old? Fashion is complex. Yeah. Um, but it's also fun and it's super visible. So how it starts, you know, you identify that, you make your designs, you hopefully can find yourself some good factories to make it. And then you've got to worry about distribution. So it's a whole gambit. So when we started ABA, we decided to just basically own all parts of it. So we already own the factories from um, the work we do with Stitch or the work that comes in through Stitch. So we've always had the factory since the source. That bit was a bit easier. Um, Sorry, are they Australian based or are they offshore, Paul? No, we, we base all our factories in China. We, yep. uh, Australia, there's probably, it was, there's definitely a shortage of skill. Mm -hmm. um, we're also conscious that with our brands, we wanted to make sure that they were accessible in price point. So we don't do the cheap stuff. We don't do the super expensive stuff. We want everyone to be able to afford it. But we also wanted to do really, really good quality product. And it also had a really had to have a really strong um, social and environmental aspect. So the only way to do that was to go overseas. 
but we've made sure in all of our factories, they really are, what's the best way to describe it? Western mentality focused. So we're all about um, worker morale, safety, definitely environmentally focused in terms of how we you know, develop garments and whatnot. Um, our business is a B Corp, and I don't know if you know what that is, but we're a B Corp approved. So B Corp is um, um, profit for purpose. It's, a, it's an independent international accreditation, very tough to get. We're the only Australian, um, we'll call it a successful brand that has it. Um, and then all of the factories overseas, we all get them independently audited and whatnot. I know we've gone right off topic, Daniel. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'm happy to go down this path because it's interesting. Yeah, so it's good to have context, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and that factory, I mean, how did you get go get about owning a factory in China? Was it an existing China, uh, factory that you purchased? Was it built from the ground up? How did that work? Yeah, so look, we, 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 we partner with people in China to make sure that I guess we beneficially control them. That's the way we like to phrase it. It's very tough to just outright own. But they, they sort of existed for a little while. And what we try to do is we try and um, find people in China that are like-minded to us, where we can say, we need a factory. We have this much production. We'd like the factory to be set up this way. Then we'll invest a bunch of money with that particular person. They become our partner, really. Yep. So they can look after running the factory for us day to day. We'll look after the hard stuff, which is filling it with, I guess, orders. Because anyone can really own a factory, that's easy. Yep. But making sure that's run right and it's full, so at capacity, so it's not being underutilized, that's the tough part. And we take care of that on the Australian side of things. Gotcha. I was going to take a few steps back because you got started pretty early with your own businesses. What did you do to get off the ground to start with? Because, you know, you need some capital even if it's not a huge amount to buy clothing, get a store lease, that sort of thing. What did you do to get started? Worked from a young age, saved, you know, all the boring hard stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweating. That's all it was, just be conscious. And for me, it was always knowing, as I mentioned earlier, that I wouldn't be using my degree to work in finance or, or law or accounting. That was not going to be me. It was always to try and have businesses. I enjoy um, being able to, I, I guess, control the destiny a little bit. And so just save lots and then take a few risks and start small and have the idea to not become complacent and see where the business could go. So it was just to then push them. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So you've gone through this whole process and you obviously understand the industry really well. ABA Labels is going well. You've got an established, sounds very vertically integrated. You've got a new business that's about to launch. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, that's the one we're really excited about. So it's called Swap Pay. Yep. Um, and it stemmed from, I guess, the ideals we really work towards in ABA. So we're all, as I mentioned, we're a B Corp. And so we've got to look at the impact of our business for all stakeholders, and that's social, environmental, our staff, our customers, everyone. And ABA, you know, sells a fair amount of product. You know, there are years where we're pushing out, you know, up to five, maybe six million units of product, which is quite a bit. Mm. We sort of thought, well, it's all well and good to sell lots of product. Um, we have a lot of charitable endeavours in ABA, like we support 
I think we're up to giving away up just under 1.2, 1.3 million dollars to come to date for you know a lot of different you know people. It might be more actually. I haven't checked because we're due to do our CSR meeting next week. But then part of the discussions in ABA was like, well, we want to do something or think about what happens to our the product that we sell after a customer's bought it and worn it and worn it lots. So we make sure when we sell product, it's going to last a long time. You'll probably get sick of it from a fashion point of view before you have to stop using it. That's one of our things. But we said, but what happens when you're sick of it? And at the moment, everyone knows, you know, the landfill problem that fashion causing is huge. It's, it's a massive problem. And we sort of felt a sense of responsibility to see if we could not address the whole problem, but at least provide a small part of the puzzle of what the solution is. And so that's what Spot Pay was about. We thought, well, is there a way that we can encourage people to repurpose unwanted items um, before they go to landfill? And so thinking about it long and hard, we said, well, we know we've got reach. We've got a lot of customers that buy our product. We've got a lot of customers that know our product. Um, what if we develop something that encouraged them to send it back to us and we could then find better uses for these unwanted items? And so because of that, we, we sort of, I guess, can, can see swap pay. And the concept is that we tell customers that own any fashion. So we didn't want to just limit it to any of our brands, but we're, we're coming to market to say, you know, if you've got something in your wardrobe and you're about to throw it out, don't do that. Jump onto Swap Pay, log on, create an account. And it involves um, a user sending us back five items. We're going to pay for the cost of shipping back to us. They're going to get five Swap Pay coins for those items, and we're going to repurpose those. So we've partnered with a bunch of charities um, and we will then distribute through charities. And we're hoping by taking the pain out of it, by saying to customers, we're going to pay for shipping. Don't worry about that. It's super simple. Throw it in the Australia Post box anywhere you might be walking past one and you'll get something for it. You'll get a coin. And the real cool bit is because we've got nine brands with nine you know, retail stores online, We'll accept those coins at any of our sites initially, and then we'll open it up to other retail partners. And the really, really cool bit is we haven't assigned a value to that coin. So on one of our websites, one of our brands called Cali, that might assign a value of $20 per coin. And one of our other brands, say uh, Savelle, might assign $10, the other brand 30, whatever. So for every one of these coins, you'll probably get around $20 of value as a discount for your next purchase. So That's pretty cool for something that cool. you would have given away free to sell those or whatever, can send it back to you yeah. guys. It's still going to end up with them, but you guys are, yeah. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, well, well, we sort of even looked at the way that the salvos and other charities collect. And I'd ask you, how many times have you gone into a shopping centre or other place where you see those big clothing bins? And sometimes you see them overflowing, clothes on the floor, or they may have been in that bin for a month before they can get collected. So when a customer is dropping them off in those bins, they may have dropped off an item of clothing that's still wearable. But by the time they're collected, 
they're no longer because they've been stained, water damage, whatever it is. Yeah. So they've gone from being something that could be used to something that's now got to go to landfill. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to solve, I guess, part of a problem that may, people may not even realise exists, which is to get better stuff to these charities. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm ashamed to say I've thrown clothes out before because I couldn't be bothered going to Salvo's or whatever. Like it's yeah. been a Sunday or whatever and there was nothing open and I didn't know where to take it. I've actually been to, I think it was Salvo's one time and they said, oh, you can't bring it in today because it's not our collection day or whatever and there's things like that. And it's like, oh, God, this is so hard. So, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we try to really look at the whole journey of these pieces of clothing, which is still good and people really need and said where are all the pain points is there a way we can take them away give the the user like let's say for yourself when you had these items give you something of value to encourage you to do it not just take the pain away but give you something so here you go daniel here are five coins and they're really cool because you can use them on all these places oh and by the way you can also transfer them to a friend so you might have five but only want to use three and you know, a friend's swap pay wallet's empty. You can transfer them to free of charge. Boom. Yeah, so cool. Circular. Is it a is it a swap pay coin? Is that what it's called? Like, is it an yeah, actual it's crypto? It's a, so it's tricky. It's not a crypto because we couldn't do this from a decentralized ledger point of view. We had mm -hmm. to control the ledger, the, the ledger to allow it to function. Mm -hmm. But it's a much a digital currency it's just not a cryptocurrency and that's the distinction we're trying to really drive home yeah, yeah. Um, that we still have to through swap pay do the authentication every time the currency is used as opposed to allow the open ledger yeah. to do it. gotcha gotcha so you're looking to expand that ecosystem a bit i guess outside of the aba label brands to other retailers or absolutely. brands yeah absolutely because it makes the most sense in terms of how much impact yeah the good it can do because i think the more places that a user can use the coin the more the user is willing to jump on and come on the swap pay journey i guess yeah. and the more retailers that accept the coin, the more visibility is for swap pay, and therefore the more users will actually probably come into the ecosystem. Yeah. But we can take the first year or so to just put it through the ABA ecosystem. Right now we're at nine brands. There's going to be a bunch more because our business, the ABA business at least, is about bringing fashion brands to market. So we typically bring around three brands a year to market and we'll keep doing that. So we'll give the customers more and more spots to use it. But yeah, for the first year, we'll, we'll put on it. We'll put it through the ABA um, places. Really gauge customer feedback. Make the changes that the customers are asking to be made where it can be made. But also prove or take the time to prove that it's fundamentally also a strong business. Yeah. Because we sweat, like so. Swap pays being conceived and set up to be a business that's viable and sustainable cash flow positive from doing it. It's not just a feel good and needs to go to investors to justify its existence. It will stand up on its own two feet from the minute it launches. Yeah, very cool. I love these kind of initiatives because you're solving a problem. Like you mentioned before, it's, it's pain in the ass sometimes to get your clothes to a some sort of recycling depot or whatever you, you want to call it. Yeah. 
So you're solving that problem, but there's also a win-win associated with solving that problem. So you're solving an environmental problem because there's all this stuff going to landfill. You're solving a social problem because people are getting access to clothing that they might not have had access to otherwise. And for the businesses providing the credits or the coins, they're getting more sales and that might be slightly discounted, but it's their way of, I guess, putting back to the community while also getting new customers potentially, or just getting their existing customers to buy more and feel good about it. So love the initiative. Where did the idea originally come from? So again, so we have um, at ABA, we have um, uh, CSR committee. So, yeah. you know, community social, corporate social responsibility yeah. committee. And we always kick around ideas. Yeah. And the guys were talking about this whole problem with landfill and whatnot. And I just went away, came back and I said, guys, I've just had this crazy idea. Maybe it's stupid, but what about if we just develop a credit voucher of sorts to just say, send us back our stuff when you're done with it. And from there it took legs and became, but what about if we opened it up to just fashion in general and we have all these sites and it just went from there. Yeah, you know, the team that we have around these new initiatives just kicked it around. Look, it's been over a year and a half in the making. We're sort of going on to almost 17, 18 months from, I guess, conception to building up the tech. Because you can imagine the piece of tech it is, is it's it's a behemoth, really. Yeah. Multiple teams on it. Um, We were initially going to launch in March. If you jump onto the swap pay, um, site now, you can just click a thing that says notify me when it's ready. We were inundated with people clicking that. We realised the systems needed to be beef up or it was going to just fall over from launch. So, you know, we took it a little, a couple more months. We'll be putting it out there probably three weeks from now, maybe two, and hopefully it won't fall over through demand. Fingers crossed, right? Hey, got to hope for the best. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, cool. How have you gone with managing that process while managing your existing business? Because it's hard enough running one business, obviously, and, you know, all the headaches that go with that. How's it been building a second one on the side, which I guess it's kind of aligned with your existing business, but it it is a lot different. Like it's a completely different concept and model. Totally. So look, I'm actually really fortunate. So I get to be involved in a few businesses, not just ABA and SpotPay, but in all of the businesses I involve myself in, one of the things I really, really, really embrace is empowerment and mm-hmm. team. So I really encourage the people that I get to work with. And I always, and I don't say this just flippantly, I feel very lucky to work with the people I work with. I really trust them to make a lot of decisions. And I really push that point to them. You can make the decisions, but make sure you've taken the time to make the right decisions. And once you do that, it's amazing just how much you can do. Um, so I don't really go for the whole micromanaging bit. Um, I'm really about do that. And for me, I'm really a, a really curious person. So doing swap pay, doing ABA, doing stitch of power, doing the bits that we do, um, I find it's relatively easy because I want to be involved in the bits. And I love hearing the, I guess, the ways in which the team have gone about solving problems. That's for me the most bit. I'm really here to sort of say, hey guys, how are things going? Awesome, how did we solve it? Great, what can I do to help? And I love it when they say, Paul, you can just go. Great. (laughs) 
But I think that comes from fun, setting up a, a business that has strong fundamentals. From the get-go, it makes sense. From the get-go, everybody wins from interacting with the business. That's, you know, same proposition with ABA. If you buy an ABA product from one of the brands, you're better off buying that product than the competitors because we make sure it's sold cheaper than the competitor, it's made better than the competitor, and we deliver it easier. So everyone wins. Same as what So when you do that, the business fundamentals are strong um, and then it's, you know, enjoyable. This episode of Sticky Beak is brought to you by Digital Deluxe. If you're sick of digital agencies that overpromise and underdeliver, you need to speak to Digital Deluxe. We can't guarantee miracles, but we can guarantee great service and a logical ROI-focused approach. Visit www.digitaldeluxe.com.au forward slash stickybeak to access our special offer for Sticky Beak listeners. It sounds like you've been pretty successful uh, ever since getting started with your own stores um, back when you're at uni, Paul. What do you think is <laughs> you're shaking your head? Uh, no doubt, there's been some challenges through the process. Um, there's always yeah, failures. yeah, absolutely. Failures, well, before we get to the success part, then maybe speak to a couple of those failures. Like, what what, have, what are you? What's the one that really sticks in the back of your mind as one of the worst and what do you think led to it? Uh, we decided to, or I, we, because my wife and I were involved in this one, we decided to open up a bunch of stores. They didn't work out. We had to pay lots of money to close them all down. Boom. But do I regret it? Absolutely not. Did we get something from that process? Yes, we learned so much. So I like really, really firmly believe that you don't really learn too much from your successes, but you learn a hell of a lot from your failures and they set you up for future success. Um, so whether it's a little initiative in one of the businesses now that we shut down, you know, a year or a couple of years ago, we um, launched a fashion brand. We called it Damsel and Silk. It was meant to be a silk-based brand. We tried it, we gave it seven months that in a bunch of money, build a team around it, decided it just didn't work. It wasn't well received. It was not gonna be profitable or it would take far too long to become profitable. So we sat down with the guys and said, we're just gonna shut down this brand. We're gonna launch two more instead because of it. Those two brands are having tremendous success, but we learned lots from that failure. So look, it's, it's a journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a really good point and lesson. Um, what you learn from those failures can really steer you towards success in the future, as long as you take the time to learn the lesson rather than just getting, you know, pissed off and sad about what happened. Um, it, it's, there's always positives that come out of it. And sometimes cutting those things off, like you said, can lead to, lead to things that kind of like cutting dead branches off a tree. You get some shoots coming off that grow a lot more quickly, a lot more easily. You don't have to pour as much water into them or money or effort or however you want to describe it. Um, I'm interested to know with that brand that you mentioned, you, you got seven months in, you built a team around it, obviously invested a fair bit into it. How did you know it was time to cut it off? Because that, that sunk cost fallacy gets a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. They just keep plowing thing, plowing money and time and effort into things yeah. for way too long. What was it that made you aware there was time to cut it off? So going back to, you know, previous failures, every failure you have teaches you when to say stop. And it gives you 
more intuition as well as looking at some of the science and facts behind you also don't worry you stop worrying about how much money you've plowed in because it becomes easy to say that money's already gone yeah don't throw good after bad yeah um, you also set some you know some kpis you want to see achieved in any business or any initiative within a business and you know what you just don't get emotional you stop becoming emotional about the failures the more you've had and you just become more calculated about them really yeah don't take it personally yeah you thought something was going to work it's okay if it doesn't yeah right no, pursuing it pursuing it longer is not going to make it work any better if it's no, not going to work it takes your time and effort away from being able to make something else work. and you know what it's a drag on morale for the guys trying to do it for sure to say it just wasn't right maybe yeah. it was I mean, maybe, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Let's agree that it's not right and let's find some other cool stuff to do because it's always fun working on things that are working and things that are interesting. Yeah, for sure. And from a team perspective, it can make a huge difference, like you said. Like it, it, every, it, you, if you've got a great team, they're probably going to be putting their heart and soul into everything you put in front of them. And if something's not working, it's probably hurting them as much as it's hurting you as the business owner. And relieving them of that and taking that off their shoulders can allow them to perform so much better and focus on things that can actually work better. So it's really important to get out of your own head as well. Cause it's not just you that's getting affected. No, but you've got to be the strong one, I guess. And the one that can make, make the call. Yeah. Say, white flag guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's take, let's, there's always opportunities. Let's keep our eyes and ears open. Boom. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. So getting from the failures to the successes, what do you think has driven the success? Are there any particular elements of the way that you operate? Has there been anyone in particular that's influenced you, Paul? What would, what would you say has driven it? And I know you come across as a pretty modest guy, so you might find this difficult. Yeah, but super <laughs> modest. I, uh, look, I define the success in terms of being able to look around and saying, are we doing good things? Um, we get to, or I get to work with great people, the team's growing. Um, everyone that touches the parts of the business or is touched by the business is affected positively. If it's our distribution partners, they're making more profit distributing our product than they are distributing others. So they're winning, that's a success. Um, if you're working here, um, we actually just um, were shortlisted in um, best places to work in the, um, the Boss AFR Awards, which is really cool, which means- Yeah, congrats. Yeah, very good. It's awesome, right? So that's, that's success because it means we've been able to provide a workplace that can do that. Um, the, for me, the influencers were always looking around and seeing who did well, how did they do it, but also understanding that you had to be honest, you had to provide a good outcome for everyone and not focus on yourself. If you focus on everyone else around you, I think good things happen for you. I'm not trying to sound cheesy or, but I truly believe it. If you can come up with a way to make a business that everyone else benefits from you being around, well then everyone wants you to be around. Yeah. Because they benefit and therefore your business will be around and it will grow, it will be that success. And then it's just how you define the success. I don't define it like from a financial point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you only then think in those terms, you don't get 
for really long-term success. Yeah, for sure. And it's that win-win thing we were talking about before, right? Like you can create that positive spiral by creating a situation where everyone wins. And like you said, if everyone's winning, then they want your business to exist and they want to support it. So you can really exactly. create that uplift. What do you do outside of work to keep your sanity in check, Paul? <laughs> I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, so not much else. <laughs> um, I, I value family time. And so a lot of it's spent running around for, I call them the little monkeys, um, you know, whether it's their activities because my kids are really into sports as well as their academics. So one does jujitsu and one swims and both play tennis and it's interacting and you get some time with friends and whatnot. Um, but to be honest, the businesses that, you know, I get to be involved in do so many things that other people wouldn't consider business things. Um, a lot of the, um, I guess, social, the pros that benefit, like social aspects, but a lot of my time spent on that too. You know, you know, we partnered with um, the Indigenous Education Fund and we get to do stuff with them. We're partnering with CBIN. Um, so sometimes, you know, we're going to spend, you know, an afternoon out at Barangaroo paddling a kayak emptying out our CBIN. That's kind of cool because you're not really mm. doing work, right, but it's work and not. So... For me, life and that balance between work-life, not work-life is a blur. It's kind of all the same. And that's one of the freedoms you get from being able to be involved in different businesses. Yeah, cool. You mentioned uh, one of your young ones does jujitsu. Have they been doing it for very long? Uh, no, he's only started a, a few months ago. And actually, I did do it growing up. Oh, yeah. So it's pretty cool to, um, to now have him... And actually, no, they both do it, but he's more into it than, than the daughter is. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. How, what belt did you get to? Uh, I only got to blue. Yeah, that's a, the classic cutoff line. The, there's so much drop-off at blue belt. It's, uh, because, because girls came about then, didn't they? And you had to chase girlfriends. And <laughs> you got time to throw and put men into near-naked near naked chokes and... <laughs> you're trying to take girls to the movies because that's what we did back then yeah 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 that's not a thing anymore is it i'm assuming did you do a bit of jiu-jitsu i still do it yeah yeah i i started it pretty late like i was mid to late 20s when i got started so i'm jealous of all the kids that get started and do it before they're 10 these days because it's yeah the technique is going to be insane if they stick with it till they're 20 yeah it's not what building gets you uh i'm brown at the moment so yeah yeah under who um ben hall uh carlson gracie jiu-jitsu down in melbourne nice. so, yeah 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 my kids are at the graces as well oh cool yeah yeah no it's a great sport highly recommend it to anyone i started after i stopped playing footy was looking for something to do apart from gym and yeah it's just such a great thing to do good for fitness good for your brain it's yeah absolutely yeah for life. I actually got the kids into it because I wanted them to um, understand that it can teach you lots of things. It can teach you to know your limits. It can teach mm. you how to get, you know, find insurmountable things, how to deal with confrontations. Yeah. It doesn't punch you or kick. It's all of that, right? Yeah. 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 No, there's it, a lot of lessons from it. And yeah, a, a great confidence builder for kids, I'd imagine. Like, uh, you know, you have mates and stuff and they're like, oh, you know, you could, 
mess that guy up or whatever. no i couldn't like <laughs> i i treat it as a sport i don't treat it as like self-defense but in saying that it definitely would have self-defense elements particularly for kids yeah. and women so yeah it's very cool but it's it, very cool but it gave you that right where you can say no you wouldn't because you know you could so therefore you don't have to prove that you can yeah yeah there is a bit of that but the other thing is you know you see some guys come in it just teaches you how unassuming or sometimes the most unassuming people can be the toughest people like i've rolled with guys who are you know six foot five covered in tats huge and they've been super easy to deal with and then you can get like a little 65 kilo guy come in and he's just a nightmare and you wouldn't want to run into him in a dark alley 100%. Yeah, so it definitely teaches you that. It's, it does, man. It does. Awesome. Um, what do you do for ongoing learning, Paul? Do you do you like to like read books, podcasts, courses, anything in particular, or do you ma- do um, most of your learning on the job? Not all of it. I think it'd be crazy to just assume you can do it on the job, especially because we're quite you know insulated when you're the one that's starting businesses and working them. But I, I do try to do lots of reading, um, starting to do the podcast thing. I was going to say you should listen to, um, um, uh, why is the name just come off my, uh, Gordon, Gordon Ryan was just on um, the Joe Rogan talking right. about gra- grappling things. So Ago. Yeah. Oh, one. good. Yeah. He's a freak, that guy. Yeah. He's yeah. An absolute monster. Yeah. He's um, scary. The way he just talks about the sport and his dedication to his mm. Isn't no, he like a philosophy he, professor or something? His instructor. So, John Donahue is. Yeah. Donahue. Oh, okay. I thought he was as well, Gordon Ryan. Uh, no, I listened to the podcast, but mm-hmm, definitely got mm-hmm. But super interesting yeah. just to hear the road she has for it man and yeah for sure very focused but do it all we try and do it all of that you know what i actually try and spend a lot of time reading fiction books as well yeah yeah because i think it's a good counterpoint to all the serious stuff yeah yeah it's good to have that mixture isn't it because you if you try and guide your learning too much you end up just going through the same stuff over and over and over and you never get outside of your lane and I, for me personally, I know a lot of the best ideas that I get are typically from places I wouldn't have expected. And yeah, like it could be fiction, it could be a random podcast interview with something. Sometimes I try and choose things that I'm not interested in on the surface. And then they're usually the things that I'm most shocked by at how interesting they end up being. And yeah, I think it's, it's good advice to get that breadth of inputs to keep your brain working over. Get stale quick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you never know what you're going to be interested in, right? To your point. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Before we wrap up, Paul, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's thinking about starting or is in the process of starting their own business? Don't think, do. Love it. Yeah. Okay, just... Too many people spend too much time, I think, thinking about it, weighing it up and saying the whole what if and whatnot. Figure out what it will cost you if you don't do it. And I can guarantee you that will always be more than if you do. Yeah. So just jump in. Yeah. I, lo- I love that piece of advice at the end there. Figure out what it will cost if you don't do it. Because it's very common advice. Just do it. Jump in, take action. And it's great advice. It should come up a lot. But that 
whole thing of thinking about what it will cost if you don't do it and thinking about what your life looks like down the track if you leave it out that I think that's really fantastic advice and a much better way to frame things because people tend to look at the risks and potential losses of doing it but they don't look at the flip side of it yeah well you know whenever I ask myself that question the answer for me is always one word so I said what will it cost me if I don't do it and the answer is always everything it's true yeah. though, right? Yeah, That's yeah. Because yeah. you don't know. Yeah. And I leave not knowing. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, so anyone who wants to find out about Swap Pay or get involved with it, you said it's launching, was it next couple of weeks? Yeah, you can jump on the website now. As a yeah. Okay. Swappay.com and you can just click on the whole notify me when it's live, but yeah. look for it before end of May. Awesome. And then when, once that's live and you're active, we'll be able to start um, requesting. Do you send out envelopes or something or bags for the sending the clothes in or how does that work? No, no. So what we do is when you jump on, you'll just get an, uh, to your inbox um, a prepaid shipping label and we just ask you just find a plastic bag that might be lying around the house. So again, it's a whole idea of repurposing. Chuck it in, stick the label on that we've sent you and that's it. Chuck it in the post box and your coins will be in your wallet in no time. Is Get your swap pay coins. Love it. Yeah. All right. Awesome I'm initiative. Well. Your name, Daniel, on the red <laughs> I'll do it straight after this. I don't want to let you down. No, <laughs> great initiative, great. Paul. And I love what you guys are doing over there. It's uh, fantastic to much. see businesses. Hopefully we'll talk in a few months and we'll give you updates. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Fantastic. Okay. All right. And before we wrap up, anywhere that you direct people who might want to find out more about yourself or your businesses or even connect? Um, to be honest, I tend to stay in the shadows lot. <laughs> this stuff because I yep. love talking about what we do as opposed sure. to me. As in, you know, for me, it's all about the teams, but there's some stuff floating around, I guess. Yeah, but cool. Stuff of the businesses we do, not me. I'm a very boring person. <laughs> all right you're too hard on yourself all right thanks a lot paul appreciate it thanks be good man take care cheers thanks for listening to today's episode of sticky beak if you've got any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics you'd like us to cover just send it through to info at stickybeak.com.au